are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. We are now accepting callers for the This is the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach. Exciting things happening recently. Upcoming is going to be the European RailsConf in London, September 14th and 15th. Last one in Chicago sold out in a number of days. So you can go to europe.railsconf.org and find out all the details on this one. David Heinemeyer, Hansen, Thomas Fuchs, Dave Thomas, Marcel Molina, all kinds of developers are going to be there, both from the United States and from Europe. So go to europe.railsconf.org for all the details. I'm going to be teaching two Get Started with Rails workshops, one in New York City, May 25th, another in San Francisco, June 8th. Go to carsonworkshops.com for the details on that. Also very excited to announce that transcripts of this show will soon be available. If you have friends who are deaf, hard of hearing, or just prefer to read the show out written out, it's going to be available about one day after it airs normally. And there's a second RSS feed that will be updated when the transcript is available. Michael Dornbos of imapenguin.com is funding this. Uh, they do custom Rails development, so go check them out, imapenguin.com. Also, a few books coming out soon. Of course, second edition of Agile Web Development with Rails is going to be published. You can get the PDF right now. They're going to be updating it, and the paper version will be published in a few months. Also, Rails Recipes by Chad Fowler. I'm excited to see that come out. been reading the PDF of that recently. Another one, Ruby Cookbook by Lucas Carlson is going to be amazing. Last time I looked at that thing, it was over 600 pages. That is in the final stages of publishing right now, so be looking for that. This is the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach here at Canada on Rails. Very exciting time. It's great to meet up with all the different people. Obi Fernandez, Thank member you, of Caboose, many other accolades, probably even more important than that. Uh, works at ThoughtWorks. Hailing from the enterprise side of things, tell us how it's done. Welcome. Yeah, I never bought into David's aversion to using Rails in the enterprise. It seemed like, well, I mean, of course, that's part of his style to poke his finger in the eyes of giants and make them go bananas, get more publicity for the rails. Well, but there's something I did understand, which which was selfish programming. But, you know, the whole notion of I'm building this for me, you know. So if you want it to make, you know, if you want it to work for your projects, then why don't you work on some, you know, yep. extensions of it and open source it? So. Um, yeah, I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about what's been going on at ThoughtWorks. We, we met with David a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. Um, basically, once we, back in like February time frame of, of last year, uh, was so seeing pretty some, early on. Yeah, it was seeing so much buzz about Rails, you know, and the blogosphere and everything. And it, I'd taken a look at Ruby probably four months before that. Okay. And I absolutely hated it. What did you like about it? The syntax or the, the design? The or? syntax was foreign. The lack of IDE support. I'm a, I'm a huge okay. fan of IntelliJ. 
uh, you know, and the the kind of power that it brings to, to programming in Java. And I, I've been doing Java since '96, uh, and I understood the benefits of static typing, or I understand the benefits of static typing, I should say. And uh, Aslak, a colleague at ThoughtWorks, we were on a project together, and he was working on damage control, and I was pairing with him. And I was like, you are on crack, dude. You know, like, why would you want to subject yourself to this kind of pain? He's editing, like, basically the first Ruby code he ever wrote. Wow. On te- in TextPad. Didn't okay. really know what he was doing, you know, at the time. So it was, like, all sorts of pain. Oh, and I, in addition to that, we were trying to figure out uh, how to get the Win32 library for forking to work correctly for damage control because we needed to get damage control working in a stable fashion. I see. On Windows. So we were in C code, C internals of Ruby code and stuff like that. It's a rough introduction. No wonder it's a rough introduction. I was turned off. But then uh, fast forward a few months and I was over in London for, for a stint. I was working with a really cool thought worker named Carlos Viella and you know, we both knew about it and from from reading blogs and we were like you know, let's let's check this out. So we had this idea about a social networking app uh, for use internally at ThoughtWorks. ThoughtWorks has like 800 people worldwide. Wow! And our culture is is our most important asset. You know, we we emphasize the fact that we hire great people and they work closely together and all this cool, yep. you know, supportive open source and everything. So we're like, well, let's make a social networking app. You know, for people to find each other by interests and you know be able to. S- say who their friends are and you know kind of a typical web 2.0 kind of thing and, and rail seemed the natural choice and that seems like one of the benefits of working in a big company with a lot of smart people meeting other smart people benefiting them from them in the areas that you oh, need yeah, to learn and absolutely. teaming up on a project even. So, i mean we started going into the office every night after after the client work and we we picked up rails and both of us knew java really well and you know took to ruby really fast and that never went anywhere because unfunded internal projects, you know, and ADD programmers don't match. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. So the next thing happened uh, probably a few months later. I started hyping it up on my blog. Started rankling some Java people because my blog was on JRoller, is on JRoller, uh, you know, which is a Java community. And I uh, started pissing off a lot of people at ThoughtWorks that, you know, don't like hype. Okay. Um, you know, hype is considered distasteful. You know, it's kind of like you turn the, the nose up at it for, you know, for good reasons, you know. Sometimes hype isn't real. But, you know, I was around in 1996 when I saw the transition from C++ to Java. There was a little hype associated with that. There was a lot of hype associated with that. And a lot of it was fueled by vendor money, you know, by, by Sun spending millions of dollars to hype it. And I'm going, okay, well, here's something that's, one, the real deal has real, you know, benefits over the, the status quo. And it's not being driven by millions of dollars of vendor money. This is being driven by passionate, smart people, you know? Like, when you have figures like James Duncan Davison, yeah. you know, c- coming across... Yeah, I mean, when you realize that something's a real deal like that, I mean, you want to... you, At least me, you know? I wanted to hype it. I wanted to get other people to use it. I wanted them to see that it wasn't just like Python and all, you know, it's open. That there were real benefits to this community. And that's what technology is about, seeing things coming up, catching things on the front end, not being the last one to the party, but saying, hey, this is this meaningful, this up and coming. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what it's about about nowadays. The the reason that 
you know the, the pace of change in the technology world has picked up so much is because hey what you know what qualifies you to do a podcast what qualifies me exactly. to speak with authority on a blog <laughs> you know as, as people have pointed out on my blog like who the hell do you think you are <laughs> you know but the, the point is yeah i have enough experience and i have enough intelligence to know something good when i see it so i'm going to talk about it on my blog that's what free speech is about so you know so- so Martin Fowler's ideas, Martin Fowler's at, what, chief scientist or senior visionary of ThoughtWorks, Thought Arts, yeah. definitely his ideas influenced the design of Rails. David oh, no read doubt. a lot of his books. And he was at RubyConf last fall and a fan of Ruby. Was there an endorsement of Ruby that came down from the top, or was it more of a grassroots thing of, hey, let's use this on different projects and we have I the think, authority I to do it? I think there was an implicit endorsement that it was okay to, to hype Ruby and to go for it. Not that ThoughtWorks does, it, is a really flat organization and there, there isn't a lot of control for the top from the top. So a lot of power for people to make the de- right oh, decisions oh, yeah, they need absolutely. to. I, I couldn't tell you specifically who, who my boss quote unquote is. Uh, you know, We have one central character. ThoughtWorks is essentially a cult of personality around our founder and primary owner, Roy Singham who is a fantastic personality. I mean, he loves technology, and he loves the idea of ThoughtWorks being world leaders, and he loves the idea of ThoughtWorks maintaining, you know, top quality. And for all of us to be divas, he's fine with that. You know, he's fine with with having the high maintenance portion of the IT community in his uh, employ. So essentially, he jumped on the Ruby bandwagon right away because okay. I mean, as soon as some of us started telling me, "Look, Roy, this is good," you know became Roy's, uh, you know, new shiny toy to, to, to play with. So back, back around that time when I got back to the States, I set up a meeting with DHH and a couple of our senior technology people and Roy and I got together in Chicago and we talked about, hey, how can we support Rails? And, you know, it was kind of a just meet and greet and exploratory kind of way. But I think what really moved us was that we asked David what he was trying to accomplish and he said, I want to change the world. And that kind of ambition, that kind of attitude, you know, that kind of hubris is, is fantastic. It's refreshing in a world that's dominated by vendors who have nothing positive to add to the community of, of software developers. They don't care about joy of development. You know, I've talked to, to framework authors who don't use their own tools to develop. They, they haven't done application development in years. They consider it the challenge of making software work with the framework to be part of the fun of programming. No, fun of programming is being able to be productive and to get yeah. my apps done and to focus on pleasing my client. Yeah. That's fun. You know, and even in an enterprise space with the kind of competition that, that we have, you know, from other areas of the world and from, you know, economic pressures and, you know, all the factors that Chad Fowler wrote about in his, his book, My Job's Going to India. Hell, even internally, if you have any sense of ambition, you know, in a corporation, if you have any sense of self-preservation, this is undoubtedly what you want to be looking at. You want to be getting into technologies that are exciting and that set you apart. Yep. from the rest of the crowd. You just want to be another Java bot you know, that can be outsourced to, to India. People have said several times that if Ruby 
if Rails succeed, which it has in many ways already, it'll be one of the first technologies to do that without a major endorsement from a major technology company. You know, IBM is is kind of on the PHP bandwagon and definitely in, in spite of what we talked about, you know, Sun, Java, in, all that. I think endorsement, you know, takes many forms. Like Tim Bray, you know, is here at this conference and we just you know, if that wasn't an endorsement, the, the you know, the the podcast we recorded with him huge fan of Rails, understands where Ruby's coming from, is sending hardware for free to the JRuby guys. Yep. Okay, that's that's putting money where their mouth is. So it's not... What I, what I worry about sometimes is that someone will try to commercialize. You know, a vendor will try to say, wow, this community's really growing, let's rape it. Yep. <laughs> you know, but then again, if you look at, you know, at least in the Rails community, the strength of David, you know, of, of his character and the strength of his opinions. And I drilled into David uh, in my interview with him yesterday, and I was like, at what point does your capitalistic urge overwhelm all this other stuff you're talking about? And he swears up and down for the record that it won't. Wow. That he's just interested in being able to do his applications and if other people want to do other stuff. You know? And I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of wonderful there's a lot of faith I can put into that kind of attitude It's a lot of faith that I can put into that kind of integrity that he's shown so far I mean for him to to stand up there and say fuck you to the to, to the naysayers at this point one I think we're we're mainstream enough we are really getting mainstream enough to where he can say that we're mainstream enough to where the you know it makes sense that he can tell people you know the way i want to tell people sometimes hey you guys you were wrong i was right you know i don't walk around telling people that you know because it's it's not necessary but i was able to like cut down on the hype probably six months after started blogging about rails because it's like dude besides the point now you know now just just try it try it out for yourself and see what it's all about and we've been doing that at clients you know at some pretty substantial clients Slight technical question here. Yesterday you were talking about using Rails on a project backed by Oracle, Oracle database, and having to deal with millions and millions of records and kind of going around using the power of Ruby and the strings of Rails and yet going around that when you need to for efficiency. Is that a sign that Rails needs to you know, need to, to grow, to be more powerful for huge amounts of data like that? No, or is absolutely, that a absolutely not. a situation that can just sustain and, and there are still ways around it? Absolutely not. When we say that Rails is not a silver bullet, we mean it. Okay? Uh, and in this particular case, I would have to say there are plenty of people that criticize Active Record and say, you know, Active Record is, is a suck-ass object relational mapper. There's so many better things out there. Why would you subject yourself to, to using that? Like, no, 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 no. Active Record is great for what it's intended for. So realizing its limits? Yeah, understanding its limits. In this case, you know, it's a, it's a banking application, and we have to go through millions and millions of accounts over and over again. Loading those things, you know, over the wire from the database and instantiating Ruby objects, and what we would have to do to use Active Record for that, it's not going to happen. doesn't matter how good hardware you, you would possibly have. It's going to take days to load millions and millions of records into Active Record in Ruby right now. People do it in Java. It sucks in Java, too. <laughs> okay? 
But Java is fast enough from a raw performance standpoint that sometimes you can get away with it. But so it's more a shortcoming of the idea of object re relational mapping. It doesn't imply for in every those single situation. kind of applications where you have millions and millions of rows to run through. Yeah. If you're trying to do OR mapping, it's the wrong tool for the job. And the, there's no benefit while it's churning through all those. The right tool for the job is SQL. Surprise, surprise. Oracle and you know relational databases in general are highly, highly optimized to do this sort of stuff. So what we did was we, we took a one, two, three step process approach to this, to this project. First of all, we have to establish, okay, you have a certain business process that you want to replace. That business process is currently expressed in Oracle PL SQL. We think we can give you a better way to express it in Ruby. I said, all right, we'll do that. So myself and a team of three to four other guys, we've been working and we just did our first release. It was a successful release that consisted of a DSL. DSL is a domain-specific language. Just like Rails overall is a domain-specific language for expressing web apps, we sat down with their, with their financial analyst that's the end user of this system, and we talked over the business process. And we took the language that he was using uh, and applied it to the API. We basically, I wrote out Ruby code in as close... It looked like his... Well. Yeah, it looked exactly like the English that he was expressing. And you had to define some variables that would go into compensation rules and, and so on and so forth for, for this business process. Now, normally, your, your typical consultant or IT firm you know, would go in there, and I think some of our early approaches were you get a rules engine, you do rules engines programming. Um, even taking it down from that, you know, a normal sort of approach that we would take because we're all OO programmers, so you sit down and we do some object and you know oh analysis and design around this domain. Yeah. Completely scrapped that approach. Completely scrapped that approach. What I did was I sat down and I modeled the business process in Ruby code. That gave me a script that didn't execute. Okay? It was broken. But the yep. syntax was correct. Uh-huh. And we used that as a live specification. We basically said, alright, well we just gotta make this work. So we started going out, well, the first line says define something as, you know, something else. Basically a, a compensation variable that we're going to use in the SQL query. Okay, so let's implement that. End result, we have a DSL script that generates a huge amount of SQL code. And that SQL code is sent over to the database where it can execute over millions of rows in process, generate all the results that it has to do, and then we can report on those results afterwards. And yet you can still maintain it in Ruby, still maintain language it in Ruby. relevant to there. Yeah, the, 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 that DSL Beautiful. script, we store it as a, you know, in a text column of an active record class. Uh, we do access state machine on it to do the workflow because you know, those kind of scripts have to be conceived by marketing, approved by finance, approved by QA, verified, deployed, you know, staged to production, so a few lines, uh, a few lines of Access State Machine, which, by the way, I got a plug. It's like the best freaking plugin I ever. I saw that. Is that Scott Barron came up with that a couple months ago, or was that? Some... Uh, might have, might have been Scott Barron. Uh, it's just amazing what you can get away with in the Ruby community. Okay, he threw some code out there. Has not done any subsequent releases, to my knowledge. Basically, put the barest of the bare bone examples and documentation, and the thing itself is very, very little code. Right? Uh huh. This, and it is so incredibly useful, like you wow. wouldn't believe. 
Okay, we've been using it pretty much on everything because one of the most common constructs that we run across are state machines. In enterprise business kind of applications, pretty much everything goes through some sort of workflow, you know, which implies a state machine. This goes from this state to the other. So we've been using that a lot. We just did our first release, and now the second uh, release for, you know, basically a month of development is going to be to layer a GUI on top of it. Okay. So we're using a lot of the fancy Ajax stuff to basically give the non-technical users a, a way to, you know, design the, these scripts. Now, the amazing part is that the client, he helped us define the syntax of this DSL, right? And he's not a programmer, right? He's a financial analyst. He's yep. Excel at times, stuff like that. But we didn't expect him to write code. You know, expected that he would need the GUI tools. Sure. It turns out he's been consistently telling us that he's not worried about the GUI tools because he understands that code well enough to maintain it. And uh-huh. he understands cut-and-paste programming. Uh-huh. Okay? So if I have, you know, situation X and I got, you know, the next version of that script for client Y that I want to write it for, and it's almost like X, well, then I just copy that script over and I tweak the little parameters... And it works. Well, you know, you can't do that sort of thing in Java. Um, his, you know, a light bulb went off on his head that said, "Eureka!" You know, I don't have to maintain requirements documents. You know, that map from a contract it's right there in the code. It's in code. Yeah. So we're just giving him a system to maintain that. And then a third month on top of that, you know, after we ship the GUI tools to basically do the final twenty percent, the final push into production had a very happy client so far. This is a major bank. This is a major project. You know, talking serious, serious amounts of money. Um, and it's getting us a lot of business, you know, that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah. It's not even Ruby business. Wow. You know, because when you go in and you prove yourself in that way, in such a compelling way, in terms of the types of skills that your people bring to the table. I got to give props to my teammates, Jay Fields, Badri, uh, actually in India. I mean, we're uh, Michael Schubert, who a lot of you in the okay. Rails community will will remember. So I referred him to ThoughtWorks. We sent him off to to India for a while, and he's come on board in the last two weeks to help out with this release because he's a he's a sysadmin galore. I mean, he he's got such good Unix skills, you know. Okay. So basically, assemble this small team. We can work miracles, you know. And Jay and Badri, and to a certain degree Akshay, had no Ruby background. Basically, in about six to eight weeks, I've been able to take them from very, very good .NET and Java developers to almost what I would consider world-class Ruby and Rails developers. What a turnaround. There's nothing so special about Ruby and, and Rails that a good Java or a good .NET developer can't understand and pick up very quickly. Yep. The idea is... So, talking to you know lots of different clients about the benefits of this, uh, we're starting to see a lot of incoming business from people that see the you know the blog post and they they hear the buzz and they they're really looking for uh, you know something different than what they're used to dealing with. You know these Java pro- projects that go on and on and on. You know these they, they wanted something different, and Rails gives them you know the opportunity to to taste productivity again. You know. So, lots of good things going on. Um, 
I also want to talk a little bit about the reason I've been stuck in that room interviewing people for most of the yeah, conference. Yeah, doing some video interviews and yeah. talking about all the speakers. Yeah, definitely. I've been having a great time uh, just talking to most of the speakers, uh, asking them what their talk's about, and uh, we're shooting video footage for a site called InfoQ.com. All uh, right, and that's going to touch a couple different technologies, including Ruby. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, For people listening that are into Java, or were into Java at some point, they'll recognize the name, the serverside.com. Yep. Easily, around 2003 time frame, one of the most popular Java sites out there. Half a million visitors a month. Okay, Talking serious, serious recognition, serious, serious traffic. Floyd Marinescu, the founder of the server-side, he sold it a year ago. Okay, And he is working on this new site, which is going to go live uh, sometime in early May. It's called InfoQ, and basically what we're going to do is give equal billing to Java, .NET, Ruby, SOA, and Agile. Those are the cues of the site. There's going to be daily news content, uh, a lineup of feature articles, uh, discussion, uh, video interviews, and we're even commissioning small books to be written. Right. So I'm the Ruby editor. Floyd has uh, tapped me uh, you know, because of my connections to the community and basically to... to give editorial direction to the news articles that get posted and the, the feature articles and do the interviews and stuff like that. Uh, so definitely, any of you listening, if you you know want to work on articles, if you want to help out uh, you know, by sending news or uh, working on the books, you know, we're, we're doing the whole self-publishing model to some degree. Awesome. Uh, Are they going to be rather Floyd is. PDFs online or print-on-demand print or combination? I, I don't know that much about that side of the business. That's basically his deal. I'm, uh, I'm in a publishing relationship with Addison Wesley. Um, I'm the series editor for a new line of Ruby books coming out. Uh, and Addison Wesley is a, a hardcore, you know, serious credibility. Definitely, yeah. They published the prag very first Pragmatic Programmer book. The first Pragmatic Programmer. They've published books. most of the Agile books. Uh, the Gang of Four book. You know, so they have a long tradition of, you know, publishing some of the Bibles of the IT industry. And, you know, we looked at the what was possible to do around Ruby, and we said, you know, it would help out if, in addition to Prague, Prague Dave makes great books, but if, in addition to Pragmatic, you know, there was a line of serious technical reference books that, you know, really helped the guy who's doing Ruby and Rails development day-to-day, I mean, you do Rails development almost every day, right? Oh, yeah. So, definitely. and you do basically spend half your time on api.rubyonrails.com? Oh, yeah, a lot of time. And there's new one, railshelp.com, it's searchable. Yeah. But I mean, spend a lot of time on there, definitely. We, we all do that, right? But there's nothing like having a book, exactly. you know, that you can bookmark and write in the margins and dog ear. And, like, if you look at my programming Ruby book, my pickaxe book, I mean, it is yellowed from, from all the usage. And it's been that valuable to me. And I feel like I've been held back over time from being more productive in Rails because i got to flip over to, you know, and basically Google everything, you know, that I get stuck on. I don't have an index, an easy index to, to look at. So, And a publisher like InfoQ or Addison Wesley who can do frequent, smaller books, yeah. Edge Web Development Rails, only nine months old or something, and already a lot of that... A lot of the stuff that I do daily in Rails isn't even in there because yeah, yeah, it's since a fast-moving target. This is that's absolutely right. So, the the book in this and the series is not coming out terribly soon. I mean, it's coming out towards the later part of the year. Uh, my book that various other thought workers are helping with is a, 
uh, Professional Ruby on Rails Developer's Guide. Awesome. It's going to have uh, information like I was just talking about, like how do you take Rails into the enterprise, how do you take it to your day-to-day work, how do you find opportunities like we have at Fortune 500 clients, how do you introduce TDD and like, you know, kind of agile concepts that are in Rails to people. Yep. And an API reference with a lot of the practical, you know, intelligence that we've gained, you know, knowledge that we've gained over, you know, a year of, of doing Rails development, you know, basically provide context in addition to what's provided by the API docs with, with samples and things like that. So development of that book is, is well underway. We have quite a bit of it written and basically just going through the motions. Um, we have a second book on uh, Capistrano that Jameis Buck is, is writing along with Aaron Huslidge and, and various others in the community. Great. If you are using Capistrano in cool ways, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're using Capistrano in cool ways, definitely contact me, send me, uh, send me recipes. For Capistrano, uh, you know, send, talk to me and Jameis because uh, if we include your recipe in the book, we're going to send you a free signed copy of the book and, and give you credit. And it's it's a good way to get your name out there. Yep. You know, associated with the recipes. And we're talking to Stefan Kays. Uh, Kays, we're probably going to yeah, sign Rails him Express next week. Optimization. Yeah. He he wrote a great proposal for us, and uh, you know, we have we've been working on the. An outline for his book. It's going to talk all about Rails, you know, scaling Rails apps and all the performance. Uh, you know, I'm definitely going to buy that one. He's got always got solid blog posts about the nitty gritty. Yeah, of Stefan's Rails awesome. Makes I mean, he's difference. got the type of personality and, and knowledge to really, really dive deep into the nitty gritty of that stuff. So, all, all in all, a lot of exciting stuff going on. A lot, a lot of balls to juggle. But you know, it's a, it's a incredibly exciting time, as I'm sure you'll agree with me. I mean, Quite. Quite. Well, it looks like they're starting up the next sessions. But yeah, let's go in it's and been good. Thanks for session. taking a little. Thank you, Jeff. All right. All right. Take care. This has been the Ruby on Rails podcast. Intro music by Cake. Closing music by Why the Lucky Stiff and His Thirsty Cups. Equipment donated by Samson Audio. Chunky Baker. Chunky Baker. Chunky Baker.